0: Kate, uh, great to get the readings around the right way now and uh, have that part of God's Word uh, open. And uh, reminder for you, as we start, we have a Q&A time at the end of the service. Uh, so at the end of the service, at the end, you can definitely ask any questions you want over supper. Um, but at the end of my sermon, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions if things aren't clear along the way. And you might like to use your Caring and Connect card to jot, jot the question down as you, uh, as you hear it so you remember that, to ask it at the end. I'm going to pray that God would help us and uh, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you uh, that as we've already been reminded tonight, uh, you are at work by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that we might not only know this intellectually, but experience it tonight as you bring this word to life for us. Father, help our ears to be open, our hearts to be soft, and give us a desire to do what we hear, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing our series in 1 Peter, coming to the last chapter. This will be the last one before we start a series through the whole of next term on uh, the book of Luke. But tonight, we want to be thinking about this chapter. And as we come to it, uh, there are two ways that we can think about human beings. And so up here, uh, is a picture of uh, a little tiny organism. And uh, we, we can think about the world in this way. We can think about the world as made up of cells, human beings made up as, as cells. And if you think of us only as cells, what's kind of crawled out of a puddle or something like that, if that's your mindset, if we're only cells, then we need to think about cells particularly. Think about the tr- what, what, what are the implications if, if, we're, uh, if we're all just cells? Well, first thing is to say that cells don't suffer. They live and they die, but they don't suffer. Secondly, cells don't care. They might be next to another one and multiply, but they have no emotional commitment to it. They don't suffer, they don't care, and they don't live forever. They come and they go, and no one should probably mourn their passing. That's just part of life. But there is a different take on the world, a, part, a take on the world that says, actually, no, the sum of cells actually results in human beings, humans, and humans are much more than the cells that make them up. If we are people here tonight, and I think we're going to largely agree that we are, we want to think about what the implications are for us and for our world, and uh, we'll find that here in God's Word. So I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to encourage you uh, tonight that uh, the Bible tells us that you were made for more than just growing moss on a rock, you know? Uh, if, we, if all we are is cells, it's hard to get a very excited view of what life should be like. And the Bible tells us that we were made for more. So let's turn to the Bible and see how. When we come to the Bible, we meet a book that doesn't just have books in it. Does anyone know how many books are in here? Thank you, Jeff. Did anyone else know, apart from Jeff? 66 books in the Bible. See you, Doug, yes. And I'm guessing Ruby and Lily know as well. Is that right? Yeah, okay, great, good. Um, So 66 books in here, but there's actually an overarching story in the Bible. It goes from the creation of the world all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, the new creation where God makes it over again. It tells us a story about sin, and then it tells us about Jesus. And the story of Jesus is, he came into the world, that's his humiliation, he's born at Christmas time. He then dies, rises to life again, and is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. So the story of Jesus is one of humiliation and and then exaltation, or lifting up back to a place of great honour. It's this, this path like that. And what we want to see tonight is, will we join ourselves into a story like that? Now, there are other stories that get told in this world, and uh, there's one being told at the moment by this bloke. Donald Trump. Yes, well done, Ethan. Okay, good. Exactly. Now, I don't know, did you guys know Trump was an author, as well as a famous celebrity dismisser? Um, uh, He's an author, and so books like How to Get Rich... I always wonder, the people who know how to get rich, why do they need to write a book for others to do the same? They've they've arrived, I assume. Uh, Think like a billionaire, because that'll be a book that has a big buying group, wouldn't it? How many billionaires are there in the world? Anyway, I'm just... I'm I'm hypothetic. Then you've got Surviving at the Top, a very young and handsome uh, Donald there, and then uh, Time to Get Tough. Uh, which I think just failed him um, in the US uh, at the moment. Uh, so there's, there's one take. And if you go with Trump on leadership, then you might look at a resume for leadership that looks like this. What's the job title? Boss. So if you're a leader, you think of yourself as the boss. Okay. What's your motivation? Well, certainly for Trump, or people like him, the idea is more money and more power. That's why I'm in leadership. More money... More power, okay? Then you can think about what's the attitude. The attitude is, I want you to serve me. That, that's the leadership attitude that kind of emanates from people who think of the world like this. And what's the reward? Well, the reward is a glorious crown. So all that power and money must result in me being... I, I do think it's a little ironic how inglorious Donald's crown is. But anyway, this is a... Um, particularly when the wind blows. Have you seen this? Anyway. Um, there is a different take on the world. If you read the Bible, we get a different take on leadership, a quite revolutionary one. So when we look at biblical leadership, let's focus our attention here in 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, Peter writes, and, and when he says to the elders among you, he's not saying to the old people. Um, elder is a position of leadership. They probably were older And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So let, let's have a look at this list and kind of revisit it in light of what we just heard from the Bible. What's the job title for the Christian leader? The job title for the Christian leader is to think of themselves as shepherd. But I want you to see here, it's not just shepherd, it's under-shepherd, because we are caring for the the flock underneath the one who is the chief shepherd. Can you see that in verse 4? And when the chief shepherd appears. So congratulations, you've just been promoted, you're the boss. No, 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 you're the under-shepherd. That's a pretty salubrious title, isn't it? Let's put that on our business cards. Uh, congratulations, under-shepherds. What is our motivation? What well, says here that we should be free, not compelled, and eager to serve. So Christian leadership is a gift offered back to God freely and eagerly. Now, you might get paid, but you're not leading as a Christian because you're obligated, but because you choose to eagerly serve in this way. Uh, We said that the world's attitude is, serve me. So you're a shepherd, what's your job? How do you think about the world? You think about it differently. You think about how to be a humble example a humble example ha- have a look at what it says here it tells us not because you must but because you're willing that's in verse 2 as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and so can I ask you wherever you are uh, maybe some of you are going into positions of leadership uh, in your school uh, maybe some of you uh, have leadership um, in your workplace Do you lead in such a way that you're a good example to others around you? Would you be able to call people to follow you? Paul beautifully says, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, Follow me as I follow Jesus. Leadership is about setting a humble example, not lording ourselves over others. So there's a change in attitude. But what about the reward? I reckon this is pretty interesting. Uh, The world says you should go for a glorious crown. What does the Bible say? The Bible says we should go for a glorious crown. Now, I think that surprises us, but it won't be in this world. Have a look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So we're actually told that we're supposed to lead for a glorious crown. And you might think, gracious, in heaven, am I going to be running around with a crown on my head? Maybe. Maybe. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says, you are my crown and my glory. What does he mean? He's writing a letter to the church. He says, you are my crown and my glory. Here's what I reckon. People that God graciously uses you in whatever way to help get them to heaven. When we get there, when we're standing in the presence of God and they are there as well and we go, oh my goodness, God. I'm so humbled that you use me in some small way to help them stand here. That will be a source of great joy for us, which we'll give thanks to God for. You are my glory and crown, is what he says. So, play for a glorious crown. Just don't expect that it'll end up on your head. And don't expect it tomorrow. Look for it when we stand in glory together. Now, this next illustration talks to us about why humility matters, uh, I want you to think about uh, this line here. We're going to call this line Jesus. And uh, as I said this morning, Jesus is always on the right track. Okay, so that, that makes sense, doesn't it? So there's Jesus. Uh, here's me and you. All of us start off on the wrong track. We, we are sinful. We are going to a different destination than Jesus. We are going a different way. And what we're called to do here is to humble ourselves by joining our story with God's story, we're supposed to choose humility. So, what would we need to do? We need to stop being full of pride and we need to call out for Jesus to be our Savior. How is asking Jesus to be our Savior connected to humility? Well, I don't need a Savior until I recognize I need one. So, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. And I used the, the story this morning, I was trying to swim to. Uh, New Zealand. Is anyone a good swimmer here? Seriously, you're all going to suffer at swimming carnival in the first week back at school, is that right? I was so bad, I used to safety step into the pool and then breaststroke, because it's freestyle, right? So you get to choose what style you do. So I would just breaststroke slowly up to the end and get my participation points uh, at the swimming carnival. Seriously, that's what I used to do. Anyway, none of you are good swimmers, which is helpful for this illustration. Imagine you have to swim to New Zealand, okay? And some of you are pretty good. You get out through the breakers, which some of us will just drown. Won't We get pulled out in the rip and drown at Bondi Beach, you know? But okay, you get out, right? And you start swimming to New Zealand. And you, you, you got out past... You've actually lost sight of Australia because you're such a good swimmer. And then a helicopter comes over and says, Would you like to be saved? And you say to yourself, no, nah, I've got this. If you wave the helicopter off, it's because you're full of pride. And on top of that, you'll drown. You will. You're never going to make it. I'll just let you in on that. You won't, you won't get to New Zealand. No one swam the Tasman Sea. I think that's what I learned this morning. Is that right? No one swam the Tasman Sea. They might do the English Channel, but no one's doing that. So we're never going to make it. So when the rescue is offered to us, it's only pride that would say, I've got this. Don't worry keep your helicopter, I'm going to to do it myself, you'll drown. So if you choose to join your story with Jesus, what you're saying is, I give up trying, rescue me, pull me out of the sea, I'm drowning. The only way you'll ever do that is if you give up your pride to take hold of the hand of Jesus. So I want to encourage you to choose humility, to choose humility, because pride is literally killing you. Secondly, we are asked here uh, in verse 7 to cast our anxiety on him. So when you join your story to Jesus, not only do you find a saviour, but you find a comforter and one who will never leave you or forsake you. Cast your cares on Jesus because he is now your friend. Uh, There's a thing called delayed gratification. Does anyone know what delayed gratification is? It's telling you that there's... What's for supper tonight, Kara. Ice cream. All right. If I tell you there's ice cream for supper, you could leave right now. Or I could say the word of God is so precious, so beautiful. Stay here until supper, and then you can enjoy your ice cream. Now that waiting, that waiting is called delayed gratification. I want to. I want to just. I've made something up here. I've called it delayed glorification, and it's it's here in the passage. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory. We won't get it today. The reward for serving in this way won't happen today. It will happen on the day that Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, he'll receive glory from everyone, and we will receive glory with him. So will you play the long game for delayed glorification? He goes from leadership to talk about enemies, if I said to you, who do you want your enemy to be, who would you choose? Some of you might have a superhero thing going on, and you might have an arch nemesis. I think most of us would say, I don't want any enemies, please. Can I, can I say, see, none of the above? I don't want any enemies. But the Bible says here, you will have one of two enemies regardless after this sermon. I'm going to tell you who the two enemies are. But first, I need to share a picture with you. Uh, I've been, it's been unsuccessfully guessed today, but Doug, you might have an idea. Doug, do you know what type of tank this is? Not sure, but you could tell me. If, if, it, had, if it was in the water, you'd be able to tell me, Doug, but not on land. This is an M1A1 mine-sweeping tank. It's a very uh, impressive piece of equipment. Uh, if you walked outside today and uh, you were trying to get to your car and that was facing you, how much chance do you have of getting by? Zilch, right, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get by. It would be a fearsome thing to face that piece of uh, rolled steel and, 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 and whatever else is there. It would be fearsome to do that, if that was opposed to us. But I want to tell you today, it is possible by our attitude that you have someone far more scary to face. The Bible says here that God might be your enemy. The living God might be your enemy. Have a look why. Have a look at me in verses 5 and 6. It says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, so that, that includes all of us here today, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Do you see what it's saying here? It's saying that God opposes the proud. So what do we need to do? We need to reject pride. Because if we say, I'm okay, I don't need you, God, we are making God our enemy. God opposes the proud. But the flip side is magnificent. He shows favor to the humble. So how do you want to meet God? Do you want to meet God full of pride as your enemy? In which case you're going to lose. Or do we want to humble ourselves and seek his favour because he shows it to the humble? So first enemy you could have is God. And I hope you leave that option on the table. Don't go there. Trust God and humble yourselves. Alternatively, there is someone else. If you've made the choice, I will humble myself, I will trust Jesus, or join my life to Jesus's, then I'm telling you, you have another enemy. At least that's what the Bible says here, who is the devil. Have a look with me at verse 8. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the devil isn't a lion. In fact, the very same image is used gloriously in some of our songs for Jesus, isn't it? So the devil isn't a lion, but he is a spiritual enemy to all those who call themselves children of God. And he's real. And he is dangerous to us in the sense that he wants to bring you down. And so how should we respond? Well, it says here that we should be alert and of sober mind. Now, if you go outside at the moment with a golf club and ho- hold it over your head, okay, does anyone think that that's a good thing to be doing at the moment? Can anyone tell me why? Sorry? Lightning. Okay, now some of you are going, I don't know, I'm just walking around with a golf club over my head, it doesn't matter, it's, it's, not, it's not very good as an umbrella, But the reason I tell you not to do it is, you make yourself a far more attractive conductor for electricity, and given that there's thunder around, it would be dangerous to walk around with a golf club over your head. We okay with that? Don't do it. But if you didn't know, if tonight you just learned, I shouldn't go out walking in thunderstorms with a golf club over my head, if you just learnt that, you wouldn't have been alert to it, would you? And some of us won't have been acting like the devil is our enemy. We won't have been alert his schemes and his plans to lie to us to trick us and so we need to be alert to the fact that the devil is real and we need to be self-controlled because it's in our sin that he seeks to trip us up you can have god as your enemy if you're full of pride or if you humble yourself you can have the devil as your enemy but there is a way for us to proceed have a look at this uh this girl in the photo here uh can anyone see what's happening behind her Anyone got a guess as to what it is that's, uh, that's here? Sorry? Tornado. Yeah, it's a tornado or something. It is absolutely terrifying. Something terrifying is happening in the background here. Um, and how does she look about that? Terrified. I can't work out whether she's terrified or just incredibly placid. Or I don't, I don't know what her expression is. But she's not going anywhere. She's standing firm. And uh, that is what we're encouraged to do in the face of the devil. Have a look in verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So how do, we, how do we face the devil? If the devil is a roaring lion and he's out there to get us, how do we face him? We don't run away. We don't run away. Uh, it's been told um, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, we're told about the armour of God. Uh, have you guys heard of this? I'm sure kids have. Yeah, you've done this in kind of in Sunday school. The armor of God. Now I'm. We've got breastplate of righteousness and shields and sheaves and shoes and helmets and all that sort of stuff. I've been told all of this is facing this way. If you turn around in the armor, you'll have no defense. I think that's really interesting. So we're told to stand firm in the armour that God has provided, to face the enemy, to resist the devil, uh, we're told in James, and he will flee from us. So we need to stand firm in God's armour. We need to stand firm with God's word. It says in Hebrews that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So if you want to fight back against the devil, you want to sharpen up your sword. And uh, if you remember Jesus being tempted, do you remember how Jesus resisted the the, uh, the temptations of the devil? Quoted scripture. He threw scripture bombs back at Satan. But you can only do that if you know the scripture, yes? And so if I took your Bible away, how much scripture would you be able to remember? It's great. Kathy was able to share tonight a scripture that's precious to her. We're going to keep doing that. It's a great pattern for us. But if you don't know the Bible... And you're you're under pressure, it won't be good for you. So, my encouragement would be get into a habit of reading God's word, sharpening up that sword so you're ready to stand firm against the devil. And then, thirdly, we're supposed to stand firm because we're aware of God's family. Have a look what it says there uh, at the end of verse 9. It says, uh, Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So, you stand firm because they're standing firm. Did you know that other people in the world are being arrested for their Christian faith? Did you know they're beaten for it, jailed, kidnapped because they named Jesus as Lord? And here it says, stand firm because you know other believers are facing the same sufferings as we are. Well guys, I'm saying they're actually facing worse things often than we are, than the person who would mock us at the family barbecue, than the person who would make fun of us and in our workplace or at school. And so, if those people can keep naming Jesus, remember them and stand firm where you are. So, we stand firm in God's armor with his word, and as we remember God's family. Now, has anyone been watching the, uh, the, the, t- the tennis? Have we got any tennis fans? Yeah? Okay. Hurry up. No problems. We'll put it on over supper. Is that right? Put it on over supper. We'll put it up on the big screen and then you can enjoy your ice cream and your tennis. All right, okay. Here's here's ball tracking, right? And what it's doing is it's working out where the ball went. It's showing you exactly where it landed in the past. There is a more glorious game and it uses the same technology but does something else, okay? In cricket, what happens is the ball tracking is used it'll show you in red where the ball came in, and then it hits somebody on the the pad, right? And what they do is they use the technology then to predict, that's the blue line, where the ball was going to go if it hadn't hit the pad. Is everyone learning about DRS at the moment? Fantastic, and ball tracking. So one tells you what happened in the past. The blue tells you what they think will happen in the future. I want you to know, guys, that if you take the view that God is in charge, that we are creatures of His, He actually has a way to tell us about the future. Guess what it is? And so I want to tell you that this speaks to us about the future of our world. Have a look me at verses 10 to 11. And the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God is telling us about the future. He's telling us that after we've suffered for a little while, i.e. the rest of our lives, he will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. And I've tripped over this all day, but the tracking trajectory is trustworthy. What that means is you can believe the Bible will tell us faithfully about the future. You can trust what's here. God will Make happen a great reversal where the proud are brought low, where the humble are lifted up, where God is shown to be the king. You can trust that that is going to come to pass. Now, I've um, uh, got a picture up here of one of our glorious uh, rubbish trucks. I don't know if, have you seen the, um, the, the sign that's on the back of these? It says, Caution, vehicle may reverse at any time. And uh, I always find that an intriguing sign, and I'm always a little bit worried anytime I'm behind a garbage truck. But I can't think, they're so heavy. Like was it just spontaneously? We're doing 60 uh, down the hill into Oren Park, and it's about to reverse back. Anyway, I always find that intriguing sign. But the point here is, in this passage, we are told that a great reversal is coming, that God will upend the world, and he will, he will lift up Christians, bring down the pride of others. And I want to tell you, that could happen at any time. Caution. Could reverse. God could reverse the universe at any time. Drive carefully. You don't want to catch the world going back the other way and you face it unexpectedly. So what should we do if that's true, if that's what God is going to do in the future? Well, there's a little intriguing clue right at the end here. Uh, Peter writes uh, in uh, verses 13 and 14, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you, send you her greetings, and so does my son Mark, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So what should we do? Uh, Clearly verse 14 is going to make supper very interesting, is that right? That's that's a joke for everyone who's got the Bible open in front of them. Uh, It says, greet one another with a holy kiss, so I look forward to seeing that happen. Actually, do you know what? It hasn't really worked at any of the previous services. I think we all kind of recognize that this is a bit socially awkward. Um, but my, my wife did point out that uh, if you're on the Graham Norton show, everybody kisses everyone. Have you seen anyone watch Graham Norton? No, anyway. This is celebrities meeting each other. Oh, darling. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we found a way to greet one another appropriately uh, as Christians? But anyway, it says here, she who is in Babylon greets you. Who is in Babylon? Well, they're not certainly in Iraq. No, what Peter is saying is, he's writing to people who are in Rome. And like Babylon was the capital of the ancient world, to which the people of God were taken into exile, Peter's saying, hey, Rome today is just like a place. where We're out of our heavenly home. We're waiting to go home. But he can't write, Rome is terrible. It's just like evil Babylon. So he just says, all those who are in Babylon send you their greetings. So what should we do if we are in Oran Park today? Well, we too are waiting for our true home. Not not the one that... Thrive Homes, is that right, uh, John? Uh, We'll be building us. Not the one that's coming from Masterton. No, our true home is in heaven. What should we do then? We should stand firm as we wait for the great reversal. Stand firm. Hold on to your Christian faith. What about if you're a leader? If you're a leader in this room today, I want to speak to you very particularly, and I want to say you need to choose between your model of leadership. Are you going to be someone who is ready to crush other cell-based organisms around you, because they don't really matter, or are you going to take up the staff and lead in a Christian way as a shepherd? I want to encourage those of you who have responsibility for others, lead beloved sheep, not worthless cells, as faithful shepherds. And say you should lead. And that will revolutionise how we do it. In fact, I've been reflecting today, all the secular leadership books still say that the best way to lead is servant leadership. They just don't know why. Here we know why, because we're following the example of the good shepherd. There's a third word here for those of us who are suffering, and I don't know what kind of suffering you're going through tonight. It can feel like a lonely road. There's a word for us here, a a tremendously encouraging word, a word that I always cling to every time I pray with people as as we face the difficulties of life together. Have a look with me at verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Whatever road of suffering you're on tonight, you are never alone. The one who said he will never leave us or forsake us is the same one who cares for us and will carry us in the midst of our hardship. You never suffer alone as a Christian. We pray that we might do a better job of standing with you as a church, and we won't always do that perfectly but I want you to know that God is always willing to listen and he always cares for you. Fourthly, for all of us, I think we need to choose what world we're going to live in. And we need to think about the implications. Will we live in a world that is godless, full of cells with no direction? Or will we look at a world filled with hope and life, saved by the love of Jesus, on a path to glory. We need to choose what universe we're going to live in and the implications for us as Christians. So let me finish where uh, Peter finishes tonight. uh, In in verse 12, he says this, With the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Church, what should you do? You should stand fast in it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good and faithful God. We thank you that you set before us a picture of reversal, that one day your son will come back and everything will be set to right. Father, make us humble. Help us to lead as servant shepherds. Help us, Father, to know what it is to cast our cares and anxiety on you, being assured that you care for us. Help us to stand firm in the face of the devil's schemes through your army, your word, and remembering your family. Have mercy, Father, and strengthen us to stand until the day we meet you face to face. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a time for questions now. So you might have a question, and uh, if you do, uh, I'd be very happy to hear it. Perfect. Nailed it. No problems. Ethan, do you have a question? What is it? Can we pass that on from the back? How do I do all this? Uh, Lots of homework, Ethan. Um, Your homework helps you out, you see. Uh, So I spend uh, the whole week... Uh, reading the passage, and then I read all about what other smart people have thought, and then I talk to my staff team, and then I crunch it all down on Saturday and (laughs) and turn it into a message, which becomes a set of slides. So that's how I do it. Maybe the grace of God is in there somewhere, and a little bit of experience. Uh, Are there any other questions? Are you going to stand firm, church? Do you believe that the reversal's coming? Genuinely, I think this is hard for us, isn't it? We don't see stuff changing, we don't get uh, any brilliant ideas, hey one day God's going to flip it all upside down and the people who look like they're winning today are actually going to end up under the judgment of God. It's hard to be humble, is it not? I'm pretty good at it, you're all saying? That's a joke, by the way, see, you're listening. I'm going to stop talking now and hand it over to Tim who's leading us uh, to good places. Thank you, Tim.